Welcome to Tea Time with Chris, a podcast that celebrates faith, humor, and the power of storytelling. I'm Chris Tomlinson, your host, and I'm thrilled to invite you to join me for engaging conversations with people from all walks of life. Together, we'll sip some tea or whatever you prefer and explore life's joys and challenges with a focus on hope, inspiration, and positivity. I'll also share some of my personal stories and some poetry to add a touch of intimacy and creativity to our chats. So join me as we spread love, joy, and laughter with each episode. Welcome to Tea Time with Chris. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode four of Tea Time with Chris. As always, I'm your host, Chris. Before we jump into today's uh, topic, we have to dive into the tea flavor of the week. Now, here's one I've never heard of. It sounds interesting, but at the same time, not my cup of tea. If you follow my weekly newsletter, you'll see the weekly tea flavor, as well as a description of its flavor, uh, where it originated, and its health benefits. I do my best to say this correctly. Yerba mate. I'm not sure if that's how it's pronounced, but hopefully. It's from South America. Made from the dry leaves of the Lex Paraguarinus plant. I don't know. It's on the newsletter. You might, you might be able to pronounce it better than I can. It has a distinct flavor, often described as earthly, bitter, and slightly grassy with a hint of natural sweetness. This tea is known for its high caffeine content and rich antioxidant properties. Uh, some of the health benefits include boosting energy levels, supporting weight loss, enhancing mental focus, and improving digestion. Hmm. Interesting. I think right now, though, I'll, I'll stick with my Earl Grey. But uh, if that sounds good to you, Check it out. Uh, I know, I know you can get it on Amazon, and I'm sure you can get it at other places on online. Um, if you do though, shoot me a message uh, through the Tea Time with Chris website. Let me know how it tastes because it sounds interesting. So, so in today's episode, I wanted to take some time and talk about a topic that I know every person that has ever lived is alive and will be alive has either dealt with it, dealing with it, or will deal with it. And that is pain. I remember as a kid, the neighborhood I grew up in, uh, I don't know if everyone listening can remember theirs or not, but uh, we lived in this awesome neighborhood in East Bridgewater, Massachusetts. It was our first time living in our own house and we lived right next to the woods. Um, I was so used to living into like, in like an apartment and only being able to play like in a small, pretty much square area in my front yard 
and that was it. I couldn't go much else there because it was kind of a dangerous neighborhood um, until we moved to East Bridgewater and we had these woods next to our house, literally like right there next to our house. And it wasn't just like, you know, like a small batch of woods. This was like a huge area of woods that stretched far. Um, I loved exploring the woods, man. There was so much in there and my imagination would just go crazy. There was a few neighborhood kids we'd hang out with and explore with. I remember my very favorite place in the woods. Actually, there were a few, but this one part in particular, I absolutely loved it. In the front yard of my house, we were we lived on like a hill, like our front yard went down a hill. We had this long, rocky driveway, and then to the left, if you were coming out of the house, it was the woods. And in that front part, I, I refer to that part as the front yard area, even though it wasn't in my front yard, but you know, it's right there, but to the side in the front yard. And we would, uh, or in that part of it, I would go in there. Um, sometimes my little brother would, but not much, but I'd go in this one part and there was this part that had a cement block and it was like a, like a, like a long rectangular shape. But it was like a slab, like it was in, not in the ground, but it was on the ground. And in the middle of it, not the top part of it, but like the face of it was a hole and a tunnel ran through it. And it wasn't like a big tunnel where you could walk. It was like a small tunnel and it would run underground and it would come out um, the other side of our stone driveway and continue on down the road. Um, but feeding into that would be this little creek that would flow through the woods. And I love sitting there because it like, it, it just, I love the sound. The sound of the water is just sitting on the cement block and just listening to the water flowing to the paths. And the cool thing about the path was it would run along uh, an old stone wall. And this stone wall was like, I mean, I don't know the exact, I don't know the exact age of it, but I do know that the part, like that part of the neighborhood like that road and strip or whatever was part of the Underground Railroad. And a lot of the places there were old. Like my house was very old. It was built in like the 1800s. And like in the basement, when you looked up at the floor, like the bottom of your first floor, there was actually like tree trunks that were, that they just, you know, cut and split in half and just popped it under the floor to hold your floor up. Very old. So I assumed, you know, these, must be some really stone, old stone paths that were set, like, you know, a long time ago. I, I don't know. That it just seemed like it to me. So this creek would split off into a few di directions. Uh, one direction went off into a grassy field that us neighborhood kids called the Bloody Fields because it was a swampy-like field, and the water would always have, like, a red tint to it. So no one ever dared enter the bloody fields <laughs> but the other direction flowed from the front part of my house like not my literal you know front yard but that part of the woods I was in and it would flow to the back area of the woods and keep going like just keep going through the woods I'd love to follow this way because it led to an area that felt like I was in a fairy tale world or like 
a Lord of the Rings type world. There was a tree that was partially uprooted and it looked like, you know, it had like a little small shelter right below it because it had pulled open the ground. So not really a cave, but like, you know, like, you know, I had, yeah, hopefully you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Um, so I would like to go under there and sit there and watch the water flow through the creek and it would just flow over the rocks and the sand. And it was so clear too. Like you just see right through it. But none of us ever drank it though. Like I wonder why we never drank it. Maybe we just instinctively just figured, you know, like don't drink the water. You never know if it's good or not. So no one ever drank it. <laughs> but uh I always felt like I was like an elf or something from Lord of the Rings in my mind. I in my majestic forest, standing next to some majestic waterfall, even though there was no waterfall, but the creek would have, you know, like little drops, you know, drop where they would go down some, it would go faster. So you could hear the water flowing just fine. It just wasn't loud, like a waterfall. Uh, so if you go further back from that area, there was an area, there was this area in, in the woods that had a huge opening and the ground was always covered in that, like, that drown, that, that drown, that brown, um, fur, like, from pine trees. And it had different leaves, all different colors, dried on the ground. It was just, literally, the entire ground was covered with this. Like, you couldn't see the dirt underneath it. Like, the floor was always covered with these furs and leaves. And, uh, in the middle of this opening, the, like, all of his neighborhood kids would always hang out in the woods. Yeah. But throughout time and stuff, we had gathered um, like twigs and branches that had fallen and fallen over small trees and stuff and just we gathered them all and we wrapped them around these four trees that were in that area, that opening of the area of the woods. And it eventually over time, it formed like what looked like a, like a fort. It was like a fort for us. We, I don't know who brought it, but someone had a tarp and I don't remember them putting it there. I just remember showing up at the fort one day and there was a tarp over the top of it. And it was just, it was so cool, man, that we just had our own fort in the woods there. And I can still remember the smells and just looking up at the sky as I just wondered about the massive height of the trees because these trees were so big, <laughs> so big. These were moments that I tried to cherish. I would play back in my mind as most times I would miss out on playing in the woods, playing outside with the neighborhood kids. I'd be in the hospital dealing with surgeries and stuff, be laying in bed and stare out my window at the Boston city skyline. I don't say it's a bad view, it is a, it is a nice view, but when you're a boy that likes to play in the woods and you're just so used to that, like the woods, like that's your stomping ground, man. Like that's where you love. I love to play and it would bum me out so much whenever I had to go and miss out on the things the kids would do in the neighborhoods and I'd show up after months of whatever and they'd be totally do things that I missed out on doing with everybody. But the cool thing was we were all good friends and we all knew each other and they always would still include me with stuff even if they some project that they finished while I was in the hospital they'd be like, come check this out, Chris. Look what we did, and this is what we're gonna do next, and all that stuff. But I missed it every time I was in the hospital. 
I, I didn't like being in the hospital. I longed for the scent of the trees and the feeling of those tiny twigs rustling against you as you ran to the woods. I remember the pain I felt from the surgeries, but on top of all that was loneliness. My mom and dad would be there when they could, but they had to work, you know, life. They had to work to keep, you know, where we live, food, and all that stuff. Sometimes a nurse would stay and talk with me in the room, but eventually they had to get back to their patients. I'd have long conversations with God. I'd just stare at the ceiling or out my window. These conversations, though, were different than how I communicate with God today, but I was a kid. I was full of energy, curiosity, and I wanted to explore and play, but I couldn't. My leg couldn't keep up most times with the other kids, or I didn't have the coordination just yet to do things they could do, like ride a bike, skateboard, or, or scooter, or rollerblade, or play sports, and so on. I still tried, though. I wanted to try everything. Eventually, I learned how to ride a scooter. I eventually learned how to ride a bicycle, but I couldn't ride it like everybody else because my left knee can't bend all the way. So it's very hard to ride a bicycle when you have a leg that doesn't want to bend all the way. So I spent a lot of time on scooter and eventually I taught myself how to skateboard and I had a Spider-Man skateboard and I thought it was so cool, so cool skating around the streets in the back of our neighborhood. And I couldn't go that fast and I couldn't do any tricks. I couldn't jump with it or anything like that, but I could, you know, move it and stand on it and go. And for me, that was good enough, man. That was, that was, I was Tony Hawk. <laughs> I was, I was the greatest skater, even though I couldn't do anything but just ride it, you know? But uh, I wanted to do everything like all the other boys and all the other kids, you know? I remember trying out, not trying out, but I remember playing street hockey in the neighborhood. It wasn't like part of the school. It was just a neighborhood thing. There was no tryouts and they just let kids play, you know, for fun and stuff. So I remember playing and uh, I didn't know much about sports at all, like nothing. The only thing I really knew was basketball because I was such a big fan of Michael Jordan. And I only watched when Chicago Bulls played and that was it. I, I knew some of baseball because my mom's a big fan of the Boston Red Sox. And so I knew a lot about baseball, but it, I didn't play it. I mean, I played in the neighborhood, but not like for the neighborhood or or uh, school or anything like that. But, uh, but yeah, I played uh, street hockey and I remember our team uh, won the playoffs. Like there was, a, you know, they do the playoffs and then if you win, you get into the championship. But uh, I was so confused. I was so confused. I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know much about sports, but I knew it looked like a blast and I couldn't do a lot. But if I remember correctly, I I played, I think it was left left wing. I think it was left wing. Um, again, I don't remember all the positions, but I do know I played left wing, left wing, I think. And I do know it was defense. I didn't play offense, I played defense. And uh, I couldn't keep up. I couldn't keep up much with the other kids. And my grip wasn't that great back then. And a lot of times when I hit the ball, it wouldn't be hard at all. And so I never, never once scored a goal or anything. But I do remember in the playoffs, 
I remember the ball was coming for me. And I saw kids running everywhere. My heart, my heart was pounding in my ears. I could feel my adrenaline rising. And the heat in my body was just soaring. Everything became a blur and yet almost like slow motion. Isn't it crazy how our brains work? Like somehow it's able to process things that are going on like live in that moment. And it can process it in a way for us to see, sense, and address a situation like it just knows. <laughs> so I knew I couldn't score a goal. I knew I couldn't outrun any of the kids. And the first thing that popped in my head was hit it, just hit it. So I did. I ran as fast as I could. The ball was already coming to me, so I couldn't, I didn't have to go far. I approached the ball and I hit it as hard as I could towards the opposite way. Now, these were kids that were coming towards me and they were already almost fully over to our side of the, of the rink. So I hit the ball and I went all the way to the other side, to the wall, literally, on the other side, because all the other kids were already on our side. And none of them really expected me to do anything because, you know, I really couldn't do much. So I wasn't really an issue for them. So they really didn't pay much attention to me on the opposite team. They didn't think I was, you know, you know, a problem or whatever. Um, I remember when I hit the ball and I remember standing there watching it go and still, you know, confused. I don't know what's going on. Just I'm having fun. And after I hit it, I hear people go absolutely nuts. I mean, nuts. <laughs> And I was so confused. I was like, just standing there in the middle of this rink. All the other kids are running. I was still standing there looking around like, why are people so like excited? I look over to my coach and he had a huge smile and he was yelling excitement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was waving me down to come in so, you know, we could switch the players. I was still so confused. I walked to the bench and... All the kids were patting my shoulder or my head. My coach was yelling, yes, yes. As the players in the rink were passing the ball around in front of the team, other team's goal. I sat down exhausted and still confused, but, but it's just like, whatever. I'm having fun. I say like right after I sat down to rest, everyone jumped to their feet yelling and screaming. My team had just scored the final winning goal and we were going to the championships. I remember how happy everybody was and I was so excited and I didn't realize what I had done. I was still confused. I just figured, you know, I hit the ball, whatever. Until my assistant coach. This guy knew me from school. Like I, I said, this wasn't a team for the school. It wasn't a sport for the school. It was just for the neighborhood. But this coach knew me from school. And it was in, I believe it was in my... Um, my wood shop class, if I remember right. But uh, he pulled me aside to make sure I was okay. He would always do that through all the games just to make sure, you know, you know, doing all right. Uh, I wish I could remember his name, but I can't, I can't remember his name now. He was so caring. I remember he was, uh, he was in a roof collapsing accident or something like that. And he had those crutches. Um, they're not, I don't think they're called crutches. Like, I can't remember what they're called, but people use them, you know, to walk, not a walker. Like there's like there's like one on each arm and it like goes around your wrist and stuff. I can't. I'm sorry guys, I can't remember the name of it. But anyways, he used those 
to walk around and he is such a cool guy. He's so cool. He uh he got me protection gear for the uh street hockey because uh one game <laughs> one game I didn't have any of the equipment because we couldn't afford it. This was this was like uh, a few years after my dad died, if I believe, if I remember right. And it was just my mom just taking care of me, my brother, and she was working as much as she could, and whatever money she had went towards, you know, rent, food, and for us to live. So we didn't have the money to buy my equipment to play street hockey. So I was just using whatever was left over at the games that I could use, but no, you know, no protection equipment or anything. Um, so I remember one match, one of the kids hit the ball and I was really close to him and the stick hit my shin. Now, in this, in this, in my left leg, I don't have much feeling in it. So a lot of times I don't feel things when it happens. So I remember when it happened, I, I, I could feel because it hit it hard, like it hit the ball hard. So obviously I'm going to feel like something down to the bone. I did. Like, I could feel some kind of sharp pain in my bone and my shin, but I didn't really pay attention to it much because it wasn't, to me, it wasn't that bad. When I went back, when we were switching roles, I went back and I looked down at my leg and it was completely, like, my sock was entirely soaked with blood. Like, entirely. So he had, uh, he helped me bandage it up and help get equipment later so that I wouldn't get hurt again. Oh. Uh, so he had told me, you know, what I did, because I think he could realize, you know, I didn't know what was going on. And he told me that when I hit it, because all the other players were already on our side, and when I hit it and it went to the total opposite side, the time was so low that by the time everybody reached that side, yeah, it was enough time for my team to score because it was right there in front of the, uh, the opposite team's goal. But even if the other team had got the ball, it, time would have drained, gone down. It would, it would, there wouldn't have been enough time for them to score any, either way. So it was like, you helped, you know, you helped your team like get the winning shot. So I was just like, oh, uh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, cool. <laughs> I still was just like, whatever, I don't know. I was just, I was just kind of, ex you know, excited that I was playing a game with other people and we won the playoffs, man. We were gonna, we we're gonna be in the championship game. like. And it wasn't just like a neighborhood rink. Like you went to like an actual big rink to, to play. So I was, all, I was all excited. Unfortunately though, I never got to play in the championship game. I had to go to the hospital for another surgery. <laughs> and I missed out on the championship game. I remember feeling incredibly disappointed and just sad. Yet it was my life, you know, I had to learn to just accept things the way they are and that I would miss out on things and that's just normal for my life um so i remember another time i tried out for soccer uh, this was at it wasn't like later in high school i believe i was maybe a sophomore maybe a junior it was a couple of years after street hockey or so and uh, i had friends in this new school i was going to it was a private christian school i signed up to try out for soccer and i was all excited and the day of tryouts arrived and i made sure i was you know fully rested and uh, Ready to go. I was amped up, ate some good food, well hydrated, brought water with me, and everything. So the building, like the school I went to, was also a church, which was the church I attended as well. And behind the church, there was this huge cemetery. Now, I don't remember exactly how big it is, but 
from when I was a kid. To me, it was, you know, very, very, very big. I want to say it stretched for miles, but then again, it's kids and, you know, how things are. When a kid seems bigger, but then they actually were. But I know for a fact, I know for a fact this thing was at least a mile because in order to make the team, you had to run the path that was in the cemetery that wrapped around one section of it. And if I remember right, I could be wrong, but if I remember right, it was about a mile, a mile and a half, this cement path that, like, loop that he, the coach wanted us to run in order to make the team. Now, so a lot of you, probably some of you are probably thinking, Chris, that's a mile and a half, that, that's, that's like no big deal, man, like, come on, just a mile and a half. Yeah, I can, I can, yeah, I can, <laughs> I can see your point, you probably could, and Probably would be just fine, but, but I couldn't. And I wanted to anyways. There was a group of other kids I had grown up with pretty much the whole time I've been in that church. And I now went to school with them. And we all went across the street to the cemetery. And we stood on the cement path as the coach read out, you know, things to us. And I can't remember a single thing he said because I was so pumped up and nervous to be there. Like sports was a huge deal at this school. If you played sports, like any sports at all. You were considered like the elite, a top-notch student. And I'm not just saying this, like teachers would let things slide so much more for you. And they were popular, like not just amongst students, but the entire staff of the school. I wanted to be accepted so bad. I was tired of being the special kid, the one that people were just like, yeah, that's Chris, you know? That's the kid that's disabled, that's Chris. No one really actually said it to me, but it was like, you know, it implied in different ways throughout my life. I remember running through my mind, just begging God to let my legs just keep going and my lungs to keep breathing. All right. Everyone around once, head back to the building. If you go around, you may continue on with the tryouts. I remember the coach yelling. All the boys are looking around, they're laughing and having fun, jumping up and down jogging in place, shaking their arms and legs and stretching, and here I am just standing there, slightly hunched, internally and visibly shaking. And then I hear the coach yell, go. Off I ran, pushing as hard as I can, my arms going back and forth, pushing off the ground as hard and as fast as I could. I look around me and I see the other boys running alongside me, and I start to think, I can do this. I'm going to do this. I felt a slight jolt of energy. And then suddenly, the other guys began to get further away. My lungs began to tighten. Then drawing breath not, not only started to become a chore, but it became painful and hard. My legs began to feel heavy. Bones locking up. Feet nearly dragging. I didn't want to stop, though. I tried to push from within, but nothing more could give. I slowed down to a walk and just looked up. As the other guys just faded in the distance. I began gasping for air and bending over to touch my knees as they were throbbing in pain. I felt someone touch my shoulder briefly and I looked up and I see the coast jogging by me, smiling and just waving. Do what you can, I heard him say. The bottom of my feet were throbbing. I don't have much padding under there. Uh, I lost most of the layers of skin from the burns. So most times when I walk, I can literally feel every step pushing 
against my bones and my feet. I eventually stopped walking and I bent over trying to breathe. Everything, just every breath was painful. Everything in my body was hurting. As I tried just pulling in more and more air, the sun was beating down me. It felt like someone was just standing over me with their foot just pushing me down. I can't handle heat. I dehydrate extremely fast because the pores in my body, that sweat, the majority of them were melted shut. So I can only sweat at certain parts of my body. So I'm hot literally all the time. And if it's hot outside, I'm drenched in sweat because the pores that do work, they have to work overtime to cool off the rest of my body. I looked up ahead of me and I didn't see anybody, nor did I see anybody behind me. I remember shaking my head and holding my sides in pain as I drew breath. I didn't want to give up. I didn't want to. I waited a few minutes and tried walking some more, but my legs were just, they were not having it. I could feel them shaking and wobbling from underneath me. I knew if I kept going, I was going to hurt myself. So with my head down, I slowly walked back to the church building. Tears began to form and fall from my face. I tried holding them back, but I couldn't help it. I remember just saying out loud through my teeth, through tears, why? I get back to the building and I sit on a set of stairs just just to the side of the door. A few kids from the trials came in after a while and I remember the son of the coach coming up to me and saying, dad said you didn't make it. <laughs> I chuckled something and I was just like, okay. I knew I didn't make it. Yet, I felt like this kid just wanted to shove it in my face. The coach never even came up to me to tell me I made, I made it or not. Never said anything to me. I sat there watching the rest of the kids come in, all breathing hard, but having a great time. I just sat there watching and just wondering how it must feel to be able to just run like that. To just run and run and your body just does it. How the wind must feel rushing across your face and the energy is Energy just falling through you effortlessly, it just seemed. I remember getting so angry and just sadness grew with me, and yet I forced it and pushed it down. I didn't want the other kids to see me cry. It was bad enough I was embarrassed because everyone there knew I didn't make it, like, even a quarter of the cemetery. The rest of the day is foggy for me, but I remember the pain I felt. Not just the physical pain, but the mental pain. As I was growing up, there was so much I wished I could do like the other kids. I didn't understand why I couldn't. To me, the way I looked and the way my hands and legs work was normal. I don't know any other way. I was adapted and would find my own way of doing things. I remember a dear friend of mine that had made the soccer team. He had talked to the coach and it may have been him and a couple of other kids. Not, I can't remember, I just remember him specifically because he was like my best friend and was always there, man, always. But he talked to the coach and yeah, I couldn't play because, you know, I I couldn't, I, I just couldn't do it. I wasn't athletic, you know, but he convinced him to let me be the scorekeeper and kind of like the equipment person for the, the games. I got to go to every game and be right there with my friends and I felt like one of them. I even had a nickname. Other kids knew me. It's like an official type person for the sick, for the soccer team. And it felt good to be doing something. A lot of times before the games and sometimes at the practices, that good friend of mine and maybe two other kids on the team, that friend would, would play in the soccer field with me. We'd play a game of just soccer. 
just however much I could and whatever I could do. I had such amazing friends and I still have amazing friends to this day. Some, some we grew apart because, you know, that's what happens growing up. People go and live, but I was all, I will always cherish the memories I can recall. Pain was and still is a huge part of my life. And I know it is for others. Sometimes I feel like the physical pain is so bad that we, that I know often some people will say, ugh, take me now, just end it or something like that. I remember one time at my church, I was in the back area. There's like a separate room where you go and the people run the the live videos and stuff. And uh, I love helping back there. It's I love helping my church any way I can. And back there, it's hard to see like all the people in the church. But that's okay because I can on the camera and on the monitor, I can see the stage and I can see the people on the stage and, you know, hear the service and everything. So I don't miss out on anything. And I remember watching during one of the music sessions and there's a woman who's in front of the stage. She could barely stand on her own, yet she was up there in front of everyone in her own world, just praising God. Her arms were lifted and then they quickly go back down to hold herself up on her walker. This woman was, was so incredibly brave to me. I'm so scared to be in front of large groups and I struggle with lifting my hands in the air for worship and so on. I know it's not something that you have to do and I know everyone worships differently, but I, I see people do things and my heart just fills up and I want to, but I don't. I'm not embarrassed or too shy of it. I'm just, I'm scared of the attention. I don't know if this will like actually happen, but this is what runs through my mind. I stick out in the crowd. It's just something that happened because obviously I look very different. I get a lot of unwanted attention everywhere I go. I can't go out in public without people staring, mumbling or whatever. Some people will approach me and I don't mind at all, like at all. But again, I get attention everywhere. I've grown up with kind of like this spotlight on me to make sure Chris is okay, is is he hurt? Uh, people say, you know, he's different and so on. I don't want it. I don't like the attention. So I fear that if I was to express in any way worship by lifting my hands or whatever, then people who see me will be distracted and drawn to me instead of God. Yes, yes, I know it can be an encouragement and a way to show God's love. And But I don't want people taken out of worship or even at altar calls and such. I want them to stay focused on God, not me. Anyways, anywho, back to the lady I was talking about. Uh, you could see her pain and struggle. And I think to myself, I could never, ever go through and deal with what she's going through. I do this a lot when I'm just sitting there, sitting there anywhere I go. I kind of like people watch, but I don't judge people. I just want to understand who they are. I picture things in my head and I watch people as they go about life. Don't worry. I don't, I don't sit there and stare. I just look around and notice things. And my mind runs scenarios. I see everyone going through something. There's not one person that's not dealing with some form of pain, whether it be physical, mental, emotional, or even spiritual. I try to picture a point of view from others looking at me. I know nothing about them, but as they talk, I listen to their tone, 
I look at their body movements and facial expressions. I see water form in their eyes and hear the sniffles. I might be known as the man of few words. I'm very quiet. I'm shy. But I listen very well and I see. I don't want to look or condemn anyone. Look down or condemn anyone ever. I'm human and I fail. But the majority of the time I'm able to just open my mind and try to understand people. I can't imagine what life is like in the shoes of other people. I don't know what they see, hear, and feel every moment in their life, but I know there's pain. I've had many people ask me, how do you get through hard times? How did you get through everything you went through growing up? And every time, my heart sinks. I want to know exactly what to say to them. I want to give them the exact tools they need and to feel better immediately. I can't do that, though, and it saddens me. I can explain and tell you what I would, what I personally do, but we're all different and not everything works the same for every person. But I thought I could take some time in this episode and share a few key things I've done and still do today to help me to deal with hard moments in life, not just physical pain, physical pain, but emotional and spiritual. Now, again, this isn't foolproof. And if you do these things, you will never have problems or know, or you'll know exactly how to deal with everything ever again. No, I still go through things. I still struggle with them. And that's just how life is. Unfortunately, we're, we're going to struggle and no one's going to have the answer to everything. But maybe, maybe some of the things I say might help. So first of all, I'd like to encourage you to either make a physical list or a mental list of a few things that you're thankful for and they make you happy no matter what you're going through. To me, it's so important to find a way to focus on things that you are happy is in your life. Find the good around you, even though the lights have darkened. This is very hard for me to do. I didn't start doing this overnight or keep up with it like I should have. I was so focused on the negative and bad moments going on that I was totally blind to anything good or positive at all. I remember not wanting to feel good or positive. It felt really weird and scary to think positive because to me, every time I did, something bad would happen. So I stayed depressed and I expect the worst. Then when it happens, it weren't as bad and I'm ready for it. Or at least I thought I was. If it went good, then I'd be even more excited about it than I would if I was already happy about it. I was always in defense mode, hide mode. I thought every person was out to get me or hurt me in some way. And you know, sometimes it's okay to be in defensive mode and you should be careful about things in life. But I was in it literally 24 seven, 365. And not just one year, but for many years straight. It's so exhausting and it's so incredibly dull and sad. I couldn't and I wouldn't see anything good. I was so mad at everyone, including myself. I had people tell me I'm blessed and I'd laugh and shake my head and think, if this is blessed, I wonder what cursed would be. I didn't trust a single person or even myself until one day. It's so strange thinking back on it now, but it seems like almost like a movie scene or something. But one day I remember laying down and I could feel the heat from the sun coming through the window on my back and my head. I didn't get up or anything. I just laid there with my eyes closed. 
I didn't want to get up. I dreaded waking up. I hated life. And a lot of times my first thought waking up was usually a deep sigh, followed by great, another day alive. Why? As I lay there in the warm sun, the sound of the room began to come alive. This was when we stayed at my mom's. It was shortly after my, uh, my ex-wife had walked out. I could hear the shuffling of the carpet as little feet danced around the room. Silence was pierced by a melody so sweet it literally woke me up internally. My children's laughter rang out loudly as they played amongst their dolls, doing funny dances and making each other laugh. I sat up slowly rubbing my eyes and just watched them. Images filled my mind of the so many times I've heard them laugh and play throughout their young lives. I thought back to when I was a kid and the times I'd play with friends and my brother and my sister. Then a thought came to me. Why it never bef never did before, I, I don't know, but I'm so incredibly blind to it. So blind. A lot of times I play memories out in my head like a movie. I have a narrator and everything. A lot of times I feel like someone is guiding me through memories and points out key moments. And this one though, this one I heard clearly from the lips of my doctors and nurses and even my own parents. I'm sorry, Chris. You probably or may never, ever have your own children. Just I could never really wrap around my head, though, growing up. Not to be graphic or anything, but I had, or rather still have, everything that needed to create children. Everything works and wasn't harmed by the fire. Why can't I have children? They're trying to explain to me how trauma can affect the way the body works. and The meds that were still ex experimental that were used on me to save my life many times may have made me sterile. So I was convinced my entire life that I'd never be loved. I'd never have kids. I'll never know what it's like to be a father. I would bother me as I grew up, but again, I just push it all down there inside because that's just part of my life. That's who I am now after the fire. And I sit there watching my kids play and listening to the giggles. My heart filled with so much joy and tears formed from my eyes. I could hear or feel something telling me this, this is why. This is what you've always wanted and you have this. Grab it, hold it, don't let it go. This is precious. This is fragile, confused, uncertain of the world, and they need guidance. They need my help. They need a parent. Someone there to show them that the entire world is not the same. There are people all across this planet that breathe, eat, bleed, sleep, and feel just as we do. People are all different and walk a different way of life. No one is better than anyone else. And above all, there's a creator that's still in control of it all. I knew my kids needed me since the day they were born, but now they really, really needed me. I was still dealing with so much hurt from the love of my life leaving, that intense blow to my self-esteem, the way I saw life and myself was just disoriented and tainted. My self-worth was totally gone. And I questioned why, why I even exist? From my middle teens to my early adulthood, I saw God as a bully, the one who dangled things in my face, let me grab and then Yanked them away, laughing at me, hurt and pain. I thought God allowed me to survive the fire just so he could torture me. And I would tell people this. I always thought God is just mean and angry all the time. This day, though, God revealed something to me. I never really sat and realized it. Do you remember my previous podcast, uh, the belief episode? I explained why I believe in God and how I saw creation. 
our sea creation. So for me, God created us. Go listen to episode, the episode beliefs for how I believe God created us. It's what you might think. So God, God created my children from my genes and my ex. He blessed me with these two beings. He saw me as worthy enough and responsible enough to take care and mold these two beautiful girls. They didn't know what's going to happen. Everything in their lives has totally been flipped and changed. And yet, here they were before me, enjoying life happily. It was then I knew what one of my biggest blessings and the most joyful things in life. I then began to look around at the world differently. I stopped and I listened. I felt the wind again on my face. Colors began to form and brighten. The sun was so much brighter than I remembered and the sounds of nature. Man, when I sit outside and just listen, it's like a symphony of music. The birds, the different tones they perform, they fly joyfully and freely. At my sister's place, she's she lives on a farm and I'd watch the cows and donkeys run amongst the fields and the acres and acres of land. I'd, I'd watch ones that would look so big and mean, yet they'd gallop around like children, roll around the grass and play like nothing else mattered. There was always grass to eat, water to drink, and land to roam. There was so much life around me, so many blessings and things I took for granted that I started to notice I began to list the things I noticed that would bring joy, the breath I breathed that was never supposed to be, the rhythm of my beating heart that should have stopped, the sounds that I hear that should have faded to silence. I began to thank God for everything and noticed the good things, even during the times that felt dark. That wasn't the end of all my pains. I went through several wake-up calls and turning away from God to where I'm at today. I'm not perfect and I still fail, but I haven't turned away from God again. I pray I never do. I'm full of joy no matter what, because I know through everything I've gone through, good and bad, God is always, I mean, literally every single time, even when I was angry at him, denied him, pushed him away. He still stood there with his arm around my shoulder and helping me and showing me off like his best friend. People didn't see what I was going through when I was hurting. I didn't talk to anyone about it, any of it. I don't want to. People were trying so hard around me to help, to offer a lift up, to pull me out of my dark pit. But yet, I just kept pushing him away, not aware of the blessings and help God was giving to me. I hurt people emotionally during these times that I'll probably never ever see again. I feel terrible and wish I could tell them how truly sorry I am and what I was going through. That's just one moment, one way in my life I dealt with that type of pain. When I was younger, I believe, I really believe I was walking with God during them, during my younger years because a lot of it I don't remember at all, but somehow I got through them. I do know a verse I said pretty much every day, and even to this day, you will say it. It's Psalms 156.3. And your version may say it differently, but this is how I remember it now. I've always said it to myself. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. I remember, I remember many times that verse was said through tightly grinned teeth, tears, 
before every single surgery, I'd say it and pray as I was trembling in fear. And as I go through life now, I still say it to remind myself. And like I said before, every single time in my life, I was going through hard times. God always had my back and was there. And I do acknowledge and I know a big part of it though was my family, friends, the staff at the hospitals, nurses and doctors all helped me along the way. Like I said in the belief episode, I believe God still does miracles and I believe he can use people and through them, miracles can happen. The doctors using their knowledge to help me as I grew, helped shape my body to work and the care they gave me. I helped them knowing was an amazing and wonderful thing. Even then, God was working through them and blessed them with the knowledge. And they used these skills that they could have easily given up on me. But instead, they used their skills to help me. I always remind myself, though, that things could always be worse. Yes, what happened to me was horrible, but there are people out there that have it so much worse. I may only have one hand, but I can do almost everything with what I have. And there are people who have no arms no legs and out and could outperform me and probably the majority of the human race. So I always say, don't feel pity or sad about yourself, Chris. It could be way worse. Be glad with what you have. Be happy that you are different. You know what everyone on the face of this planet desires the most of anything? They desire to be seen, to be noticed and accepted. People go and buy the latest trend and look down on others when their clothes don't cost as much as theirs or they don't have the things that the top celebs have, or they want to have billions of likes and follows. And we want to be seen. Yet, those of us who have some form of deformity or disability, we don't even have to try. We're already seen everywhere. Grab that. Use it. Don't take it as something negative. Yes, you look different, but you know why you're noticed? You stand out from the rest. You're different. Their minds are drawn to that, and some respond in a positive way, and Unfortunately, some in a negative way. The negative way I see as a form of defense and self-elevation. They don't know anything else than what they know. I'm not bashing or judging them. Please, just hear me out. They can't help but go into that mode because in this moment that their eyes saw you, the signal transferred to their brain and instantly scanned every detail of you and compared it to what they're used to. They don't know. They've never experienced this. So the only way... They know how to handle it is to rise themselves above and put you down because their brain is seeing something out of the norm. Its world has just been changed in some way. And since looking a certain way has been implemented into their brain as the right way, it sees you as the wrong way and begins to go on defense of how good they have it. And then they go in for the attack of either being rude or someone not rude and just flat out ignore you. And it's just, doesn't even phase them because their brains are formed and molded to a certain way. So let's take that chance or seen and noticed and show them why. Show them why. Sometimes and a lot of times being different than the norm and the highly seen mold is it's still a good thing to be different. Tell them your story, inform them, educate them and differences, teach them so their mind can know. I know there are people out there that are just straight up mean and evil and yes those, those moments hurt and they can taint your views and don't let it though they know no other way ignore them wipe it away because in the end it really does not matter at all the most important thing you remember and this goes into number two is 
how and who you were created after. If you listen to the belief episode, I explained how I see creation and how God created us. And I'm not going to go into it too deeply for the sake of time. I've already gone like I've already told in previous episodes. I wanted to keep it half hour or 40 minutes or so. And here we are over hour and hopefully people are still listening and enjoying this. But uh, I don't want to sound like a broken record either. So, But something that helps me and I wanted to pinpoint that I didn't get to in that in that episode. And that's uh, who we were created after. For me personally, I believe everything, including every person and living being, and even circumstances that occur in our lives have a purpose and a reason. I don't believe in just happen chance or coincidence. I believe everything has a reason. Even if you want to look at it scientifically, which I do, everything depends on something in order to exist. Without energy, nothing would even exist. With the laws of physics and such, if they were never existing, nothing would operate the way they do. So everything from the biggest to the tiniest thing has a purpose and a reason to exist. So if you didn't have a purpose to live, you would never exist at all. There are lives that never get to come about. And even those moments, they, those lives matter. They had a purpose and a reason. What it was, I can't say for everyone, but for me, when we lost a set of twins before my girls were ever thought of, I don't know what they would have looked like or who they would have been, but I know they showed me how precious and fragile a life is and the responsibility and reality of being a parent is. And I know one day I will meet them and you know what? They never ever will know what heartache and pain feels like. They're citizens in another realm that I may never experience. And when that realm merges with ours one day, I'll be able to say I have two kids that helped form this with the very creator. They got to walk with him and know him more before I even got to. They got to see everything in existence and how it all worked before I did. They got to watch stars form and gas mix and explode and planets be born. They could see all the vastness of space. And that just, that just makes me really proud and happy to think of that. I can't wait to meet them. I'm going to run full force and grab them and just run excitedly with them as they motion for me to run with them to different planets and landscapes to show me what they did and help create alongside the creator of it all. I believe we were created to further God's creation. Yes, he can create anything and everything at the mere thought, but through us, he gets to create random and excited new things that Yes, he could do, but when you look at your own kids and they do things, and I do this when I look at them, and they do things that I know I can do, but I see them do it, and it makes me so incredibly happy to see them do it. It's hard for me to put into words how I see life becoming in the distant future when God reigns and the new kingdom and earth become one. It's supposed to be like when Adam and Eve were in the garden before eating from the forbidden tree. That's one thing I used to battle with, the tree and why it was there and why it was such a bad thing, but I won't get into that right now. But anyway, before the fall, Adam and Eve were living life happily and <clears throat> they were happy ruling over the life of Earth. I believe we will too, which means we'll be building and creating things like we do today. Just nothing evil would taint it and life would flourish in ways we never thought of. We'll explore the galaxies and go to other planets and 
building great things. We'll be enjoying what God has given us. Literally, that's what life is going to be like before the fall. Read it. It's it's there in, in the Bible, and it's, it's there. We're artists, we're creators, and makers of things because the very being that created us is exactly that. He loves to create and make things. Through us, it's wired in us to be the same. Amongst all the beings in creation on this planet, how different they all are, and yet he decided to create a being with a mind so much different than others that would represent him. Like when an artist paints an image and expresses themselves in some form or way, that is the species is called human. Yes. Some people will say there are animals on this planet that are smarter than humans, and some brains are very close to ours, but to me, that's just a trademark of the creator. Every time someone creates something, there's parts of it that expresses who they are, and you see patterns in their art, a style they carry throughout their creations. This is exactly how I see living beings and the way things work inside them. There are patterns in everything. There may be random, unpredictable patterns, but there's still patterns and shapes in everything. God's signature, like Bob Ross when he's painting and puts a signature on it. You are a living, beautiful representation of a creator. I'm not saying you are God, but I'm saying you represent him. Just like my kids represent me in some way, but they're not me and I'm not them. You have a purpose, a reason you exist. Never, ever let anyone tell you otherwise. Because it is a 100% totally backed up, scientifically and biblically proven that you matter. In scripture, there's a verse most everyone knows. And if you don't, that's all right too, but you'll know it after today. I'm going to read part of the, the chapter, not just the one verse. Because to me, it needs to be read and really see this entire image in your mind. Listen, listen closely. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and a light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Here I saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake. I am still with you. If you don't believe God created, I won't force you to, and I'll respect you. But for me, looking at the microscopic level and how 
a fertilized human egg works as God. Again, in my my belief episode, I talked about how I see and believe life comes about. But one detail I want to point out is we know the 23 chromosomes from the parents, but it's then read by another organism or cell or whatever, and then split into parts and given to other cells, which then bring that info to another part that starts to read and create the data or instructions from the gene to create this new being from the information supplied. It just blows my mind. It's so incredibly amazing and just shows how God the Creator works and how mysterious it all is and just just leaves me in awe. Lastly, let's wrap this episode up. I'm sorry it's so long, but last thing I do, and it's kind of like a mixture of one and two, but basically make sure to take time to reflect on things, to remind yourself what you've been through and how you got through them and how you can apply it to now. Maybe you've come through something traumatic or big in your life and right now everything's okay. Use your story to help others. Use it to show others and help equip them. Inspire hope for people who are so deep in the dark that hope is no longer illuminated for them. Ignite it. Show them there is more to them than they think. And if you believe, do not use that to condemn others or belittle them. Show them what a real Christ follower is supposed to be. Compassionate and loving. Show those who want to know how God is always there, even during the dark moments and he'll always help you no matter what again though if someone says no and sternly means no they don't want to hear it please ask please respect them enough not to force but still show them love and compassion jesus did he knew judas would betray him and yet he loved and treated judas just as one of his own followers he still gave up his life for the many people who will or many deny him so why do we stop showing compassion to people when they're hurting and they don't want to hear about God. Showing them love and compassion anyways is still worshiping God. And it still shows them what Christ is all about. I know there are many people who will say that by doing so, you are just approving of any and all things they do. Damn I though? They know who I am, obviously. I offer to talk about God. And they now know I believe in God. So therefore, they may know what I believe and what I approve and disapprove of according to what they've experienced and learned. This is where it deeply saddens me. So many people put all Christians in the same category. And whether we like it or not, each and every believer is supposed to represent what Christ is like. And yet so many unbelievers, who are still human beings, by the way, see us as evil because during moments in their life, those who are supposed to represent Christ get exactly the opposite to them in some form or way. So like I said before, when people see those of us, with deformities and don't understand or their brain has learned a certain way from life experiences they now have that implemented into their brain on how Christ God is like and they assume that we're all hypocrites which I can actually agree with that but so is every person they see us through tainted glass because someone at some time didn't show Christ and instead showed religion it makes me so sad when I see it happen when I hear someone bash Christians or they're telling me how they see God I understand, though, because I once saw God as mean, but now it hurts me so deeply that I can't give everyone the joy in the view I have of God. It may be different than what a lot of others believe or see, but that's okay. I believe we all will be, I believe we all believe differently, and God knows that. I just we were more caring and compassionate as Christ is, because if people really saw the real Christ, the real Christ and how we should be, Things would be way different, but all we really can do is blame ourselves. 
But we can keep trying. We can stand up and show love to everyone, even when they are cruel in response. In the end, that's what really matters. And as repeated countless times throughout scripture, that God wants us to love each other, to help each other and depend on each other. We need each other. Some will say, I have God and that's all I need. Great and wonderful. And I can appreciate that you can go through life like that. But in the very beginning, before anything bad ever happened, God was walking with Adam right there with him. And yet God literally said, man should not be alone. Now that word man doesn't mean just the human sex male. Man is used as a word to represent humankind. Like in the constitution, all men are created equal. Or like when astronauts were on the moon and said, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Humans are not meant to be alone. If they were, why would God in the very presence of Adam say man should not be alone and then create a woman? I mean, some may say all we need is God. And yes, I agree, God is number one overall, but God created us to be around other people. When a baby is born, it has to feel the touch of its mother or someone caring for them. And if not, they will literally die. Right there in the medical, in the science book that says this. Why is this? Why do we need each other? People get annoying. They're mean. Everyone alive or has passed will or, will or have hurt somebody. It just happens. Whether big or small, we just, we just do. So it would be better to just stick to myself then and just focus and worship God. Do you know when you gather with others in fellowship in a safe and good way, you're actively worshiping God? Just laughing and enjoying the presence of others is worshiping God. We need each other. I was researching not long ago on rates of mental disorders like depression and anxiety, and I wanted to see statistics and the rates and percentage of people around the world who deal with this. Do you know, according to multiple sources, the people, percentage of people dealing with depression and anxiety is way more than before COVID hit. Remember when we all had to go into hiding and everything shut down and you couldn't be with anyone or see anyone for months. And that wasn't the first time in history that this happened. There was multiple times throughout human history where people had to quarantine for long periods of time and many died from suicides and mental breakdown because we need each other. Yet, we're so dead set on attacking each other, making sure others look less, and many are so set on destroying and killing each other off. Why? Why are we destroying life? Destroying things we need to survive. Whether you know it or not, even those people that you despise because they live so differently than you, they have a reason, a purpose. They all matter in the eyes of God. Every one of us were precious and loved by the Creator. We should be gentle. When Jesus helped the woman who was going to be stoned and killed because she was known as a whore, what did Jesus do? Oh, he was right there in her face. Right there in her face, pointing her fingers at her, yelling and telling her how horrible and meaningless she is. He pointed every single fall, fall and wrong thing she did and may likely do later. He pointed out to her scripture that shows how evil she is and she's oh so going to hell. Actually, no, he didn't do any of that. He saved her life and spared it. He showed those who wanted her dead that they were no better than her. He then helps her and tells her to go and sin no more. How amazing is that? He did that so many times. The woman at the well and so many others. The only time, and maybe I'm wrong, but the only time I can remember Jesus getting to the face of people and angry was when he went to the temple. 
you know, like the place that we see today is filled with those who we may consider pastor, leaders of the church, and members, and so on. People who thought who were doing exactly what God said. He threw their tables, and this guy even pulled out a whip, my dudes, like straight up cracking that thing in the air, and who knows, probably whipped some. Yet those who didn't believe and those who wanted, but it hasn't, he never treated in an ill manner at all. Even when the soldiers came to arrest him, I believe it was Peter that cut one of the soldiers' ear off, and Jesus knew what was about to happen to him. He knew the evil and hatred they had for him, and yet he still had compassion to heal the ear back onto the soldier of the very person and people who were about to arrest him. I wish we all could be like that, but I know none of us ever will here in, the, here in this existence. Again, though, we can try, and don't stay in that moment. Keep trying. I know very how, very well how hard it can be to have someone treat you horribly and lash out or someone believe differently and you just want to prove them wrong and I do this like I did years ago. But thank God, but again, I'm human, but I've been there. I've lashed out to people because they believe differently. We need to take time to step back and just listen. Try to understand people. If we do know for certain something is wrong and you can gently show someone and not force-feed them religion and condemn them. The human just like you. You hurt. You feel. And don't say emotions don't matter because if that was true, we never would have them wired into our existence. Yes, they can get out of control and sometimes we need to learn to control them, but at the same time, we all feel pain in some form or way. We need to do better to realize this and help everyone instead of easily attacking them. And I hope what I've said was heard and understood and not taking a judgment or, or, or come off as a know-it-all. I hope it helps people. Well, again, it may not be for everyone. I wanted to explain what helps me lean on God and find others for, for support around and take time to listen, you know? So I'm Chris Tomlinson, and thank you for joining me in this episode of Tea Time with Chris. God bless. <music> You have just listened to Tea Time with Chris, a podcast filled with hope, faith, joy, love, and occasional laughter. We hope you enjoyed it and continue to stay up to date with us at teatimewchris.com. God bless. Mm-hmm.